Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Concept out there that if we live in a cold climate, we can't use them. So I was curious about what your opinion is on it. That's totally a lie. I haven't built a house that has anything other than a low load heating system in the last seven years. Nice. So it's totally a lie. You, you do have to do the structure correctly and you have to handle your moisture management and you have to do all that stuff right first across the board. You can't just put a heat pump in an 1800s farmhouse and expect it to work, right? There are definitely criteria for how it works, whether you need a ducted heat pump or whether you need a, you know, a mini split that goes on the wall. Um, we've learned a lot of things. Um, in our first couple of houses, we had one compressor and we might have three or four heads on the compressor. Well, if that thing goes down and every once in a while you have a day where there's a lot of humidity in the air. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. Your one-stop shop for home improvement, interior design, healthy homes and construction every single week. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Caroline. Hey, Eric. We've got a, a great guest and um, oh. your buddy and friend. Oh, yeah. This is going to be great. Emily Matram, Matram Architecture. Hello. Welcome to Around the House. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to uh, join you, uh, you know, Eric, on, on your coast as well. Caroline, I know you're over here hanging out with us on the East Coast. It is awesome. We, You and I had a blast down in Orlando. I mean, we had talked a little bit beforehand, but we were jumping on stage, giving seminars, and and uh, it, was like a, it was like a construction revival. <laughs> we were having fun out there. We were preaching. <laughs> we were talking about all the cool things we've done, the cool things we've seen, the cool things we hope are going to happen in the industry. Um, it was just a good time to talk about tech and, yeah, I don't know. We even talked are you a, cars. Are you a techie like Eric, too? I am a techie nerd. I love all my tech, which is which is terrible. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes I want to just like put it all in the corner, and I don't want anything to beep or notify me or go off or do anything. Like it's so so great, and I'm really really into it. And at the same time, I want to just like live in a cabin with no electricity and have nothing that beeps at me or notifies me. It's like the two it's worlds so of true. Emily. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so true. Well, Carolyn and Emily, you guys both kind of, well, not kind of, are both in that healthier home type of field, even though you're in different parts of it, which is kind of fun to me. So I guess the big question I'll ask Emily is, Emily, and you're in architecture, I gather. So yeah. you can kind of, I went to the BAC or Boston Architectural College for sustainable design. So you can appreciate that. Yeah. Do you, what do you think of LEED? Ooh. Ooh, we're going there. We're diving in we're, hard. We're now. going there first. Okay, <laughs> let's go there first. I think that Lead did what it was supposed to do in the market, which was bring awareness to things. 
Um, I think that it is a rating system that you can game the system, which is unfortunate. Um, And I think personally that a lot of the certification programs are fantastic, but they can sometimes be short sighted for the U.S. market. You know, some of the some of the super um, insulated portions of some projects to me are not as good as using a local product, you know, maybe not having a foam filled house or, you know, for us in the Northeast is 14 inches of rigid insulation under the slab, which is going to get you to your EUI, the best use of your money or resources or the health of the inside of your home. So with leads specifically, I think that it, all the certification programs are great in that they push the market forward. They make us think of more things and they make us, you know, take a look at it. Is the checklist good? Yeah. If you don't know anything else and you start with the checklist, you're doing better than, than other people. Then you do like me and you take all the certifications, you learn all the important things from each of the certifications and you come up with your own thing called the pretty good house. <laughs> okay, I did not come up with that. Do not let me take credit for that. Dan and Mike and our local building uh, group, they they got together 12 or 13 years ago and everybody in the room it was a crowdsourced idea. Who's doing what? How can we do it better? What can we do more efficiently, et cetera? And that's where, where that came through. But it's always kind of the joke because it's the anti-rating system, but how to build a better house. How to think about these things, how to think about carbon, how to think about your health, how to how to think about not freezing in the wintertime. So it's the anti-rating system rating system. It's the anti-rating system guidance system. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, as you know, when it first came out, I was struggling with it from the interior design sort of things because like with cabinetry, sometimes they're like, oh, you need to use this straw-based particle board stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't ship it to the job site without it falling apart, you know. <laughs> and some of that stuff was tough. And I actually kind of gained in the system sometimes because since we were in Seattle at the time, I had a Seattle manufacturing. So I could beat out because I was closer to the job site, you know what I mean, than some of these other companies that were having to come out of other areas. So we were kind of winning and trying to gain through the system as well. But it was, there were some struggles there where I was like, okay, this, you're checking a box, but it's not the best box to check for the project. Exactly. And then Caroline, what's your take on it? And since you're asking the question, I got to ask it back now. I mean, I agree with her, right? It's based on a bunch of metrics that you can meet a certain level of acceptance through lead, but your metrics could be horrible. So for example, you could have a house that's totally filled with formaldehyde but meet a lead standard, which is supposed to be a healthier, what we call a greener build. So it's the same concept, right? So it's very deceiving, you know, metric wise, you can meet a lot of parameters, but fail tremendously and have something that's completely toxic and it still be lead. So that's my concern with it. And it's kind of always been that way, but I agree with her when we were learning or when lead came out, it forced us to look at sustainability and to look at different product types and to start selecting products that were better and building envelopes that were designed to, you know, help with energy efficiency, not so much water. Like that was my concern. What do you think about that? Like, so they would teach us in architecture school that we were supposed to build these really sort of intense building envelopes, right. With walls that had all sorts of degrees of insulation and, you know, vapor, um, 
vapor protection, but they were so deep and thick that I said, if you ever got water down in this building envelope, how would you ever get the mold out? Like it was so, and you can sort of, and I remember bringing this up to one of my professors and saying, well, okay, but what if you get a leak? And they're like, well, I don't know. Like, how do you get in there to get it out? You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh man, she's talking my language now. Water is the number one enemy to any building. And building science isn't the enemy of buildings. Not understanding the science is the the enemy of buildings. And so the very first thing that we need to do is manage where the water's going to go. Right? That's the first thing you need to do. (laughs) Now, if you manage where the water is going to go and you still have some systems, you need to manage what the water is going to do if it goes into some of those systems. So you need to know where it's going to dry to, how it's going to move, how you're going to let the water out, right? Building is complicated now. It is not the simple, easy thing where, you know, in the 50s, you could put up the two by fours, you could put, you know, you could build your own house. And I don't mean to say that people shouldn't DIY or build their own houses or whatever, but it's so complicated. And even those of us in the industry, every time a new product comes out or or something, you have to think about what the science of what am I asking this product to do? And then what am I going to do with this product if and when, right? So we're trying to manage the risk of every assembly. And you have to think about those things. So you have to know the science behind it, which is where we start to get, it doesn't have to be complicated. And that was one of the things I loved about the building zone at the international building show. So Eric got to spend a lot of time in the tech zone. I don't know if you got to spend much time in the building zone. Um, But what I loved about what, uh, what Ben did with his program in the building zone was to talk about those things, but just in general ways, like, okay, here's this product. And what am I expecting it to do? That's building science right there. Boom. This is telling you, this is this product. This is where I'm going to put it. What am I expecting it to do? And so, you know, sometimes we get a bad rap because we, you know, we start talking building science and then people think it's complicated and then they don't want to do any of it. And then they, they miss what, the important part of it is, and then they swap a product or they do something. And now all of a sudden you have a super risky assembly. And that to me is super scary um, because man, we don't want to be building stuff that is who said it uh, vertical mulch. I heard that. (laughs) I heard that at the (laughs) conference, like, you know, we've got vertical mulch because it basically is just disintegrating in five years. Like we're, yeah, the houses uh, that were built in the 1800s without a stitch of insulation dried out and lasted 100 years. We want our buildings to last 100 years, but we also don't want to freeze <laughs> or yep. promote fire danger or, you know, some mm-hmm. of those other things. And so um, absolutely, I think uh, that's that's number one. That's not even building science. That's just general good practice of building as an architect and a builder. You got to know how to manage water and manage risk in your assembly and what you're expecting your product to do. And that's actually the joke on BS and beer on Thursdays um, is I say it depends a lot because people ask me a question. Well, what do I do here? I'm like, well, it depends. You know what's So every time I say that on BS and beer, now I have to drink my beer. So nice. <laughs> it's become my tagline. I say it a lot on the podcast. I say it a lot. Uh, is on that BS your podcast? Is that what it's called? BS and beer? No, BS and beer is actually a, um, here in Maine, we have a couple of local building science groups that get together once a month, 
prior to the pandemic, we would get together, we would toss ideas out. That's where the Pretty Good House came around, where just other professionals in the field could get together, ask questions and get answers and talk about things they did. Well, during the pandemic, because we've created a really great network here in Maine, we just hopped on Zoom and said, you know, is everybody okay? Like the whole point of it was just to kind of make sure everyone in our market was doing good. Did they need help? What was happening? Because I mean, it was crazy in March, April 2020. It's like we had no idea what we were doing. Um, But then a couple of people who know some of us, um, mainly Mike, because Mike knows everybody, Mike Mains, um, got wind. And they had been asking us previously if we would record our live sessions. But, you know, you're in a brewery. Everybody's talking over each other. It's just not a great place. I mean, you guys do tech, you do audio, you know, it's like, it's the worst environment for somebody to actually hear something or, um, so we had always said, no, they got wind that we were popping on zoom, you know, once a week just to make sure everybody was okay. And that turned into, well, we could just, we could just meet online and kind of do our discussion group. And then, uh, for almost a year and a half to two years, we did, Every week, every Thursday, we would hop on, do a video. We had experts in building science. We had just regular people. We had, you know, BS 101 shows and like super complicated mechanical systems, like deep dive type stuff. And we've moved to once a month now, now that things are... You know, people Everybody's are working. <laughs> people are back yeah. out working. They don't yeah. have the time to tune in every Thursday night, right? And so, um, my podcast is called Energy and Efficiency with Emily, and I talk about building science on that too. Because if you can't tell already, that's kind of my thing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I also do that to highlight um, the role of architects and designers in the field, and also to bring awareness to diversity in the field. Get more women into STEM, into building, and to architecture and not just women, any kind of diversity and gender equality. Um, Just trying to bring awareness to the fact that the trades are actually super cool. It's worthwhile. Maybe college isn't for everybody. And the trades aren't just the thing you do if you can't go to college. It's oftentimes craftsmanship and artwork and things that people are really proud of and making more money than you would, you know, going to college and coming out with a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt now. And so there's, there's so much opportunity in this field. So that's what my podcast is for. You are preaching our language. Yeah. Mm. And it's funny because we have so many experts in the field come on and the theme, Eric, wouldn't you say over the last like three, four months has really been pushing, acknowledging how wonderful working in the trades are. And, and what the trades, I mean, it's diverse. When you say trade, people think, oh, plumber, they think maybe an electrician, but now you're bra- branching out into a whole different thing when you're talking architecture and building science. And we just, everybody's been saying the same thing that trade, you know, we all, oh, we need to all get oh, yeah. together. Sounds like we need yeah. to get together. We've got and millions like a giant of group. jobs, so, right? Someone- we got millions of jobs out there that we could fill across the U.S. right now in the trades as a general thing. We just don't have the bodies to put in there, and we need to fill those positions, and they're great paying jobs. Yeah. On Thursday night, so this uh, we, it's the first Thursday of every month that we do BS in beer. So this past Thursday, we did a whole show on the nuts and bolts of solar installations because, I mean, solar is becoming this great thing. And um, 
And it, it was awesome to just kind of talk about what are the parts that go into a solar system? If someone's going to come put solar on your roof, what does that mean? What does that look like? And um, one of the things that I thought was great is one of the people who was on is more in the how do we make this happen side of it. And he said, we need five times as many electricians than we have now currently working in the solar field just to meet our 2030 goals, I think. Right. So, wow. I mean, th- and that's just the solar industry, right? Which you know, some of the younger generations are are maybe more in tune to that. They think it's slick. They think it's cool. And I think the best takeaway from that show is someone said, we need to start talking about this in K through 12. And someone said, I think it's important that you said K through 12 because by high school, it's almost too late. You need to be mm-hmm. talking about your kids, mm-hmm. talking to your kids about it, talking to other kids, going to schools, getting them super interested in this stuff when they're, when they're, they still have Early a lot on. of opportunity. Like I hated calculus in high school and people are like, Oh, architecture school. You must have had to do a lot of math. Well, I had to know how to use calculus in my structures class, but I didn't actually like calculus till I took <laughs> structures where it applied to something I thought was cool and interesting. And so I think, you know, how we teach it is, is so important to get people like project management. That's a skill that you could be great at in the trade field in so many different opportunities. Well, it's so true. When I went through high school, I sucked at math all the way through. It was a struggle. And what did I do? I went into interior design, kitchen and bath design, where all I did was doing <laughs> fractions, geometry, and math all day long. And I look back and it's like, wait a minute. It was the way I was being taught because I got no problem doing math all day in my head even. But wait, it trying to understand. something yeah. you thought was cool, interesting, and you knew how to apply it. It wasn't just numbers and letters on a sheet of paper that might apply to something maybe someday probably has purpose. And I get we have to learn how to do some of those things. But, you know, I also didn't like physics, um, which is basically building science. So (laughs) (laughs) but that one was just because I really horrible physics teacher didn't have anything to do with physics. I just, you know, yeah, just wasn't awesome. Just just wasn't wasn't awesome awesome how they taught it. Yeah. I tell you what, around here, you know, in the Pacific Northwest where I live, you know, we don't have the, uh, in at least on the western side of Oregon and Washington where, where I am over here, we have lots of rain, but not necessarily a lot of snow. And we've talked about this on the show a couple times, but I can drive around in the wintertime because we have rainy season that goes from about October through June. And we could get, you know, six weeks of drizzle and rain and just wet. I can drive around new builds, especially when we're seeing stuff a little slowed down due to, you know, missing products and stuff out there. And I've shown Caroline pictures before, but I'll see a three-story, you know, condo unit all framed and the bottom OSB is black and the next one's got black streaks and the top, they just got it framed. So it's there. And then you can see the guy throwing on the Tyvek house wrap around the outside and it's completely disgusting. And it's like, come on, guys, we've got to pay better attention to building in this, you know, in this climate and other climates, because that's just mold. And I mean, that's just going to be a freaking mess when that gets wrapped up. Well, and aside from, you know, the vertical mulch that that has now become, because right, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, yep. 
you're talking about it's 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 not durable it's falling apart right just callbacks whatever but you know they they're covering that up and they're encapsulating and now it's inside your house and so now we're talking about homeowners moving in having asthma issues having you know all kinds of health issues and maybe having no idea why that's the case in their house they're missing work their kids are missing school you know that or now with the pandemic and everybody working from home, right? Not only do we spend 95% of our time indoors, we spend 95% of our time in the same room now, right? Yeah. And so our health is really being impacted. And that is the one one thing that I think for us has come up significantly more in the last two years as we're really starting to think about what's in our products and what's in our indoor environment. And then what happens is the homeowner, so we go in, right, as an environmental consultant. Now I've got to drop a bomb that the homeowner has a massive mold problem. And they're like, well, what can we do to fix it? Unfortunately, your building envelope is compromised. The entire sheathing of the house is compromised. Your your EFIDs or what your your stucco has been compromised. And you've got massive amounts of rebuild, you know, dollars that have to go into this remodeling project or, you know, um, doing a, a remediation. And how do you do, and then the homeowner spent their like last dollar buying this house. It's their, you know, it's the biggest purchase you're ever going to make. And then they're, they're sunk, they're upside down in the house and it's not their fault and they're stuck. It's a horrible situation to be in. I've been in it many, many times in the last, you know, 25 years. And I've seen people get sick. I've seen people, you know, death cases that I've had to represent where people got sick from EFIDs and, you know, passed away and come to find out they did have mold problems. Yeah. yeah, and and the worst part about that is the thing that's getting the bad rap is the way that they did it, right? Like building science, like oh, we shouldn't be wrapping our buildings with with this, or we should. And it's like, no, man, we've been building for a lot of years, and water has always been the number one issue. So mm-hmm. how about we manage the water? And understand how our products, you know, for a while in the Northeast, it was like, oh, yeah, you got to put a vapor barrier on the inside. And then they're putting foam on the outside. They're encapsulating these sections. It's like, I mean, we just made a plastic sandwich. sandwich. What's happening here? Or, you know, someone said they were like, oh, really excited about this SIP house. I'm like, you basically just made a Yeti cooler house. Like, I mean... Yeah, maybe it'll work. And if you managed all the right stuff and you don't have any moisture movement through there, but what about the what about the off gassing of the stuff that you like what what's in that? I don't think I'd want to live in a Yeti cooler. Plastic, foam, and you know, I mean no. Ah, yeah, it's it's like there's for every problem there's an extreme to yeah. fix it, which creates a whole other issue. And it seems like in building science, we've been battling that since the 1990s. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's crazy. And my favorite one right now is watching the DIY influencers on social media trying to install Windows and not understanding Flashing 101. My favorite. How many times do you see that? My favorite is watching the videos where it says, this is the photo they showed on, you know, on social media. This is what the actual room looks like. And it pans around and it's like, it's missing the flashing. It doesn't have any trim. It doesn't has a hole in the wall. There's just like nothing painted or whatever. Like we can't be swayed by social media and what that looks like. And for me, I also personally have a hard time with a lot of the, Uh, design and renovation shows on TV who give people a really unrealistic 
expectation of what things cost. Oh, um, you're so right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like in the interior environment, you must really see this a lot because so much of that, like we complain about it as our building envelope and that's stuff that people just don't even understand. It's like the first thing they cut out and I'm like, absolutely not. But for you, you you go in and you're like, oh, it's like a $10,000 bathroom (laughs) remodel. And I'm looking at it going, you're in California. There's no way I could build that bathroom on the opposite coast for anywhere close to 10 grand. What did you do? Paint the toilet yeah. and call it renovated? Like I, I mean, yeah. you can't even get your plumber to show up for ten grand, let alone yeah. so, beautiful exactly. tiled showers and <laughs> you know custom yeah. vanities and like what? Who are these people? <laughs> well, so here's here's my rules with with home improvement television. I got a lot of friends that are on there, so I'm sorry if I'm letting your secrets out, but. <laughs> If you see the brand name in the show, that is not something that's in the budget. So what happens is, is if you see the craft made truck out front and the Caesar stone guys carrying the countertops in the kitchen, and then you've got KitchenAid rolling in the appliances. Okay. So the countertops not in the $10,000 package, the cabinets aren't in the appliances are, well, it's a lot easier to get to that. $20,000 $20,000 or $10,000 kitchen remodel when you take out the cabinets, the appliances, and the countertops. You and know? I, I really feel if they were just transparent about that, I am all for KitchenAid getting all the sponsorship deal they want, you know, with donating the appliances, get people to buy KitchenAid, but just be upfront about that. Here's what was donated. Here is what these people put in for labor and materials. And here is what the actual project cost would be if you had to buy all of these things, right? Because I think that people can understand that. I love that they're getting people into design and that they're seeing that. I mean, I think it's awesome that they're highlighting trades and design, but at the same time, they make it really difficult when somebody comes to you and they've gone to, they've gone to, we've watched online shows or they've gone to house. My favorite is they've gone to house, right? Well, that $400,000 kitchen is absolutely gorgeous. I a hundred percent agree. I would love to have one of those in my house. I'm not going to afford to build that, but you know, and so I think the reality is what it, what gets a little bit hard for professionals in the field. And yeah, yeah I don't know. I get it. But and the, the other part that I have a hard time with on the design side is like, Oh, that didn't meet building code. And they're showing them <laughs> handing the, the, the chandelier over yes. the bathtub and the guy's standing in the bathtub, holding the chandelier while the other person's holding it up. And I'm like, you talk that is chandelier. not code anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've refrained from commenting on a photo, a video, or something with somebody with a gas range in an island with no hood. Like, <laughs> uh, so what? true. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. But here's one thing that I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. We have a lot of states that need to get their act together on building codes because. You know, in the area that I'm in the Northwest, at least with us, range hoods are required. Bath ventilation is required. It always has to go outside. There are plenty of states, even in the Northeast, that as long as there's a window in the room, oh, I don't need a hood. I can open the kitchen window. Right. And and that's new building code. Because when do you open the kitchen window? When it's nice outside. When do you need to open the kitchen window? When it's negative 20. (laughs) Right. 
Well, it's interesting. Like Delaware is one of those states in the Northeast that they don't have to have any kind of ventilation. They can have a, a propane um, insert. Remember, Eric, I was telling you about the propane fireplace. My dad's got one. Yeah. It had no ventilation at all, Emily. So they turned it on. They bought the house. And all of a sudden, everybody started getting sick in the room. And they're like, what's this? And then they realized, no vent, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, uh, it's so scary what you can do. I was working, doing a lot of energy consulting um, back when the market was really bad in 2008, 2009. And the first thing we would do when we went into the house is if you had an unvented propane appliance, we wouldn't even talk to you. We would just turn around and we'd walk back out. And we'd be like, we'll come back when you get rid of your unvented propane appliance. And here are all the reasons why this is, you know. And for Maine and the ice storm of 98, they had all these people who ran generators in their basements and passed out Ooh. from carbon monoxide you know, poisoning. Like we know these things, but we don't know these things, right? What's like, the code in Maine? So in Maine, what is the code for ventilation? Um, we're on the 2015 IRC, and I think most people have to do at least ASHRAE 62.213. What is it? 62.2.2013, I think. Yeah. And so we do have some mechanical ventilation requirements. Um, they just moved to 2015 last year. And so there's still a lot of people trying to figure out what they're supposed to adopt. Um, I don't know that everything has to be vented outdoors, depending on how you have your ventilation structure. Like it doesn't have to be done with a range hood, but you do have to provide 200 CFM in the kitchen somehow. So balance mm -hmm. ventilation or um, supply ventilation. So um, it's becoming a thing. Blower door testing only just became a thing. This was, I've had a blower door for forever, um, which is apparently really rare for a lot of architects, but I love my blower door. Um, and so, uh, Blower door testing in, in the 2009 version was like 7ACH or visual inspection. I was like, visual inspection. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> How does that work? Or, well, you, so you, whatever they do, or that's just the, that's just the bailout, right? That's yeah. the, oh, look good. Well, and I agree. And we try to roll into our, our plans. Like if the 2022 code is out or 2021 code is out, then we're going to build to the 2021 code as a minimum standard, right? Because I think the hardest part is when you skip a code and you don't do them, it's harder to go to the next one because then they don't just go to the next one. They skip one or two, right? So it gets, instead of being incrementally a thing that you have to do a little bit at a time, it gets a lot harder when they skip one. So, I mean, 2015, it's 2022 and we're doing 2015 and 2021 mm -hmm. is out available. Right. So yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And one thing that I've noticed here too, is that um, like in, and I don't know what the code is in Washington state, it's across the river from me, but I'm running into remodel contractors getting a hold of me now because all of a sudden in Washington state, I think if you spend over, I don't know what the dollar figure is. There's a dollar figure and a percentage of house remodeled, you have to put an ERV system in. So if you do like a kitchen living room remodel, all of a sudden you have to put an ERV system in required, whether you need one or not, it's gotta be put in there. They're not giving you, it's just like, you got to check that box. And so last year I had probably a dozen of my contractor friends calling up, go, um, it just got kicked back to me at final. I got to have an ERV system put in. Can you explain that to me? They had no idea. 
At final, too? At final. Oh, because it's so much harder to do at final. I mean, it's hard enough to do in a renovation anyway. Yeah, because they didn't. If you pulled the permit, they didn't tell you that that was required in the new code. So guys were just going out and getting their countertop, their counter permits for the remodel. Nothing structural, just remodel kitchen and bath, get their counter permits walked off. And at a final, the inspector's like, okay, now um, where's the uh, ERV? And for people out there, that's an energy recovery ventilator for you. I just to loved to- Eric's face. For those of you out there in Radio Land, Eric had the best face. I was like, oh. huh? <laughs> what? What is this? What? what is- and literally, that's what happened. So I think there's there's a lot more education we need to do with the public and with contractors out there on getting this stuff right. Yeah. And I think it, some of that stuff and code also goes back to the rating systems and stuff. Like it's a little bit hard to get an ERV into an existing house, depending on what you're doing. And so if we knew what were our expectations of what you were supposed to be doing to provide enough fresh air ventilation for, for people. That's one thing, especially in, you know, any parts of the country that are, that are prone to wildfires and stuff too. Like sometimes putting more ventilation inside your house. No, yeah, exactly. Is, is not a good idea. And humidity. And so, I mean, humidity becomes a huge factor. And yeah, people absolutely. Just, and what blows my mind is that my clients will say, well, why do I have bad air quality? I have an ERV. And I'm like, well, do you really understand what your ERV is doing? Like somehow they think it's like this big giant vent fan. Remember the old, like people would put them in their hallways. It was like a house fan. It would suck everything out and then it would just clear the house in like two minutes and it was great. And they think yep. that an ERV will do something like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a very small amount of air that's actually being brought in to change pressure. You know what I mean? Like they think that there's going to be this huge like benefit and not that there isn't, but with volatile organics, and especially if you're building these tight building envelopes that have so many VOCs, I mean, I've worked on houses where we've had six ERVs and it wasn't doing anything. We did BS and Beer Live while we were at the show and we had Joe Stebrick, who is, you know, huge in the building science world on, you know, and he said something that I that I took away, which I thought was important, which is we need to learn what we're putting into our buildings first, right? Because diluting exactly. it isn't always the, the solution, just like you just exactly. said, like diluting it didn't, didn't solve your issue, right? And so are we going to dilute it and filter it and do, you know, now we're adding all of these extra things that we have to do to kind of handle what did we put in our what did we put in our building in in the first place and so you know kind of kicking it back to to what we put in these buildings so that we understand and then we can dilute the things that you're just always going to have water water right <laughs> we're always going to have that mm-hmm. one you know yep. and so Shocker. yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and so i, I think that it's it's you know, there's no such thing as designing and building in a vacuum. Like you can't just solve for one thing because you might be creating other issues. Yeah. Emily and I were talking about this, you know, up on the stage and I brought it up the, the wildfire thing because what, two years ago it was wildfire season and we got hit hard and there was almost a month here that it was like we were in a deep fog and you walked outside and it it smelled like you were standing within two feet of a big, huge bonfire and everything was dirty. You were changing your air filter on a biweekly basis in your house. If it was halfway decent and it was just a complete hot mass. And if I would have had an ERV system, in my house, 
I would have been bringing air that was so much worse. And then all of a sudden I'm depending exactly. on that Merv filter to take care of that. That Merv filter is going to get loaded up quickly. And by the way, out there, all the people listen to the show. When was the last time you changed the filter on your ERV system? Never. I heard this. I heard this. Thousands of people going, what? There's another Put this filter? on pause and go change your filter, guys. And while you're at it, if you have a heat pump, make sure you go rinse off the filter in your heat pump, too. Yeah. <laughs> they also have filters. Exactly. But that's, you know what I mean, though? It's, 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 there's so much more maintenance as well, talking with homeowners about this stuff, because, you know, we, we do a great job of talking to people out there. Hey, change your filter, change your filter. But in a newer house, you might have more than one, or you could have one for the, you know, for the dehumidifier. You could have one on your ERV system. You could have one on your, you know, your HVAC system. There's so many other little things of maintenance that you need to be taken care of. Yeah. Hey, you guys, you want to hear a study that just came out today? I think, yeah. I think Emily will love this. Check this out. Okay. So I'll, for, I'll first pose it as a question. So do you think a standalone HEPA purifier in the corner of your room or using a MERV 16 filter on your HVAC would do a better job at reducing particulate in the home? Ooh. So standalone filter, just one placed in the space. Let's take a bedroom okay. or running... So running a clean air cycle for 15 minutes per hour in the household with your cooling system with a MERV 16 filter, central force that air heating and cooling. Ooh, that's a trick question. That's hard yeah. because it probably does a much better job in the room with just the standalone system in that room. Mm -hmm. But yeah. can you get enough airflow from the other places? But if you're circulating the stuff, I don't know if anybody's cleaned out ductwork, right? Ductwork scares the <laughs> crap out of me, right? Like you clean out ductwork and everything and you're filtering that through your whole house. You really have one room with good air. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I Caroline. think in the study, I think they put one freestanding in the bedroom and one in the living room, and then they compared it to, you know, putting MERS 16. House. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I'd have to say you. probably standalone then. They yeah. did. The standalones yep. blew them away. Really? Which is kind of interesting. That just came yeah. out today. I was fascinated. I'm like, really? Which well, Caroline, you, you found those bats in the system a couple weeks ago. She found, how many bats did you find in the, in oh, the ducks? mummified bats at least in the system and like you emily you know you have this these stipulations like i'm not going to work with you if you don't do this i'm the same way so like when i come in if you, i'm your environmental consultant you're cleaning your ducts that's the heart and lungs of that house before i even start because if that's all gone awry and you've got mold and dust mites and everything else growing in there I can't assess the rest. That's got to be fixed first before I can even look at your building envelope and all the IAQ issues you have. So there's like ways that we all have to kind of get to the a direction, right? And to get the client in the, in the proper zone. But duct cleaning is huge. Yeah. Well, and people don't replace their filters, so they're not cleaning their ducts either. <laughs> True. Right? True. <laughs> oh, it's so bad, you know, and it's, you know, it's, I've seen so much of that and it's interesting. You know, we were talking about in Florida, you and I, Emily, were talking about one time we were diving into humidity and then what happens with humidity when you get all that stuff inside those ducts, high humidity. I mean, you can just get, it can get ugly. It's nasty. 
I mean, it, and if nobody's ever heard Nikki Kruger talk about humidity, uh, you should you should <laughs> check out Nikki Kruger, Shout right? Out because shout out to Nikki because after you watch one of her presentations, you're like. I need whole house dehumidification. I need all this stuff. I need to make sure I'm not growing anything. And, you know, oh man, yeah, because, it, and and we've seen it in the building science world, right? You you know, you're, you're doing it. I did a big project in Austin where um, they saved a bunch of money by doing energy improvements that they could then use that money towards doing capital improvements. And they handled it by putting dehumidifiers in because they've got all these block buildings and a ton of humidity. And so they were just mm-hmm. growing mold inside these things. And it's like, Oh, duh. All of it is just so, yeah, you just trap in everything inside. Well, and then also knowing like you're, you're in your HVAC system, people have choices, right? So a lot of homeowners don't realize you can go with real metal or steel ductwork, right? And that's the right way to go. But they do a lot of this flex duct because we go to this cheaper way of doing things. It's easier, you know, think about it. It's like a big slinky and you can just easily crimp it and put it along beams and you don't have to actually build ductwork with sheet metal. And so we get these easier systems and they just think about that when you have all these little rivets and a slinky gets all gunked up with all kinds of stuff. It's just cheap way of doing it. And we get all this stuff in our ductwork. Do you get to, as an architect, when you do an HVAC, can you pick products like that? Or do you not get involved with like HVAC design at all and leave it up to the HVAC professionals? Okay, so I'm I'm nerdy and I admit it. I like tech. I also am super super interested in HVAC. I uh, yeah. am not a Isn't mechanical. Cool? I am not a mechanical I think I would person. Be HVAC. I would have gone back for HVAC if I had like you know thought about it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, and so I get involved in it because as a HERS rater, um, I'm really involved in the test out after the fact, right? So I want to make sure that everything's working. And man, the number of times you go in and you got a piece of flex duct that either is reducing airflow so poorly <laughs> that it's not doing anything. And I'm, this is the beginning. There's no dust in it, right? Or there's right. maybe some construction <laughs> dust in it. Or it's it's gotten kinked because it's held it's up with some kind in. of wacky strap and oh my gosh yeah. like the things it's that you shoved see through a hole like yeah. i've seen it shoved through like it starts off it's eight inches then you see it and it's like down and to it's like, like an this inch big around yep. right or and somebody so- rolled across it in the crawl space and it's like you know it's flat it's oval you know because somebody cut across the crawl space and drug it down or something you know it's yeah, crazy so i mean we don't always get super into product specifics right because all of our different contractors will use you know different things and stuff but i'll just be like it's got to be hard duct right like yeah. you can use this manufacturer or that manufacturer or whatever whoever you can get especially now with the supply chain whoever you can get it from it just can't be you know it can't be flex duct and it can't you know it can't go out the you're talking about erbs it can't go out the same port right it, like it uh, this doesn't make any sense to me you just blow the bad out air out so you can suck the you know no like it's gotta be <laughs> Got to follow the instructions. And then, you know, because I do all these test outs of the final, you know, we're moving towards um, owner's manuals. Um, I would really love somebody to start making QR codes that you put in the mechanical room with the homeowner. And then the next homeowner and every homeowner after that can just go up, scan it. We all have smartphones and it puts it in your calendar and it sends you a little reminder. You got to change the filter today or this is the system that you have or this is who you call when this thing breaks right because yeah especially with the new new construction i mean that's probably like this in renovations but um with new construction you move in and you might have a lot of different systems that you've never lived with before yeah and you've had to make about a million decisions through 
what the design of your house is going to look like to every product and thing that's in there. So when I come through and I do a walkthrough with you, it's like the day you're moving in, right? Furniture showing up. You're not going to remember all these things. So no. here's where you need to go to get the information. Here's my phone number. Give me a call. Um, I loved, I had a new client. They had never lived with heat pumps before. They moved in in December. They called me up and they're like, next time you're on site, can you come over? We think we need like a heat pump 101. I know you walked us through this, but we feel like we're breaking all of your rules. And I was like, you're not breaking any of the rules like you just don't know how it works you know so I went over and went through it with them and they're like oh thank goodness I'm like it it's just not the same you know it's not an old boiler it's not a forced hot air system it's that you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't work the same way the thermostat isn't at four feet off the floor you know it's up on top of the unit at nine feet it's gonna be warmer up there you know so it was really fun to go through with them again kind of after the fact it's just like doesn't have to be complicated, but it is different than what you're used to. Oh, I've got a question for her. I love her. I love you, Emily. <laughs> I'm in love. Oh, crushing, crushing. Okay, I love what so, you do too. So it's mutual. There we go. So this is so cool. So um, heat pumps for cold climates with heat. Yeah. How do you feel yeah. about them? So how do you feel about it? Because I love it. I like to see more people use heat pumps and there's this whole concept out there that if we live in a cold climate, we can't use them. So I was curious about what that's totally a lie. I haven't built a house that has anything other than a low load heating system in the last seven years. Nice. It's totally a lie. You, you do have to do the structure correctly and you have to handle your moisture management and you have to do all that stuff right first across the board. You can't just put a heat pump in an 1800s farmhouse and expect it to work, right? There are definitely criteria for how it works, whether you need a ducted heat pump or whether you need a, you know, a mini split that goes on the wall. Um, we've learned a lot of things. Um, in our first couple of houses, we had one compressor and we might have three or four heads on the compressor. Well, if that thing goes down and every once in a while you have a day where there's a lot of humidity in the air, it might not be that cold, but the compressor outside is below freezing. So the moisture in the air is freezing on it. It's got to defrost, whatever. And so if, if that goes down, you have no heat anywhere. So yeah. we definitely have um, we definitely have some backup systems. One, we always put underfloor electric floor mats in our bathrooms because who doesn't love a warm tile floor Heck when yeah. they get out of the shower? And mm. where's the one place in your house you don't want to be cold? In the bathroom. You take a shower, you don't exactly. get out, and it's like 50 degrees in here, right? So, so with heat pumps, they have to be in the right locations. But you absolutely can do it all day long. Um in, in the right scenarios. Um, we also, because it's main, have a tendency to have people who have backup wood stoves. That's just a thing. So, um, and we're going to start seeing more of this. And, and this is where it gets into the like techie. Emily is just into all kinds of new technology is, um, you know, Eric out there for you, we talked about this on stage in Florida. We're going to see power grid shutdowns on purpose for wildfire. You know, here in Maine, mm-hmm. we see power grid shutdowns because the power lines are down. We've got a nice storm. You know, you're out of power. And so we have people who have wood stoves for backup. I'm kind of interested in this idea of, um, you know, whether it's solar or whether we have off-peak energy heating some kind of thermal mass that radiates that heat into our spaces. I mean, they used to do it with masonry stoves and with brick, with, mm-hmm. a, you know, electricity. So I think there's some cool ideas for that. So 
for the most part, we only have a couple of houses that are heat pumps only and they work fine. Um, what we do is we put them on separate compressors so that if one goes down, the other two are probably working, right? You might have one mm-hmm. in the basement, one on the first floor, one on the upper level. And mm-hmm. if you did a great job with your building envelope and what you put in it, there's no reason why you can't. I mean, it was negative 15 degrees here. Um, my project manager lives in a house that we designed that has heat pumps only. That's it. No backup, no nothing. Hasn't had an issue at all nice. this winter. And nice. so it's it's absolutely possible. Now, I'm starting to get on board with this. So like heat pumps have become popular. And so we have more installers and they're not always installed well. And the equipment to get more efficient is being built cheaper. And that can be an issue. And Freon in the air is almost as bad as burning fossil fuels, right? So like there's all this stuff. So I'm waiting for that low load air to water, CO2, you know, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna catch on to, you know, you you can't get traditional heating systems that are low enough. I mean, it's like, oh, what's the smallest gas boiler you can get? What, like 50,000 BTU, right? Probably, yeah. My house is 11. You know, it's 11,000 yep. BTUs. Like this is, this is, you know, not where, which is why we went to heat pumps, um, mm-hmm. which is great. But, but there, there are definitely challenges with them, but you absolutely can do it all day long. Cool. Nice. See? Nice. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, with technology. So I put in a new heating and cooling system in my house this last year. And the problem, I'm on a half acre, so not a huge piece of land. But the problem with my house is that I have a bunch of 250 year old trees around. So the problem with that is, is that with all of those trees, I can't have solar at my house. There's no way. I am 90% shade all the time. And it would take me probably a two-year process to even get rid of one of those trees if they'd allow me to do it. Right. So, so it's going to happen. So I went with this, uh, I went forced air uh, and I did gas. It was a carrier infinity system. And it is so awesome as far as the technology in it it cut my heating and cooling bills by half. And then on top of it, I don't have to remember to change the filter. It just tells me. And it measures it on pressure, which is cool. So once it realizes they're starting to get built up in the filter, it goes, Hey, dummy, change the filter. (laughs) And I like that for me. It's awesome. They're also putting a lot more, uh, which, you know, both of us are going to love. They're putting a lot more indoor air quality monitors into some of these systems too, right? Like we already Mm -hmm. have this stuff. We already know how to do this technology. Let's just put it into our heating system so that it's going to send us a warning when we have an issue with something, which for me, I think is pretty, is pretty cool. So yeah, Mm. it's, it's, it's awesome how technology is when I, when we set it up, I it's cause it's variable speed. I was like, wow, it went through this whole series of tests. And I'm like, is that how the high that thing's going to run? And they're like, no, no, no. It'll size itself to the system to some extent. So it finds out where those happy medium places in. And then it came back and said, oh, you know, it's a 1977 house, but it goes, oh, you've got 9% duct loss from what we're doing. And it told me what the loss of leakage was in the docks. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And they went and, okay, let's go tighten it up. Let's see if there's any other places and, and they could work on that. But I'm like, that just came off of the thermostat that told me that. And so there's a lot of cool new technology that starts to get people headed the right direction without having to tear the system apart and do a bunch of testing on it. I'm going to ask Emily another question. Do you mind, Emily? (laughs) Uh, No, of course not. 
I ask personal questions. I get a little personal, but it's, I think it helps us. So I find it funny because like we can live in all kinds of different houses, right? As home improvement people and indoor air quality professionals. And Eric and I both kind of live in houses that were built around the same time. Mine was built in the, I think 65. Eric's was built in the seventies. I find that building to be so much better after investigating so many houses. I like that time period because it, it didn't have all the problems that we had with, you know, asbestos and lead issues. It kind of was in this, this kind of okay genre. And then we got into the eighties and nineties and then we started to tighten up too much and formaldehyde levels too much and artificial silent, you know, uh, floor systems. So what would you pick? Like if you had to pick, and you may say new, you may go totally new build, but I want to know if your ideal house, one, if you want to share where you live, what kind of house you live in, and then two, what you would pick as your personal favorite. Ooh. My house is built in 1977. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Same <win>. vintage as mine. <laughs> See, isn't this funny though, that we all like kind of go to this age. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Yep. So yep. um, I think they, they knew some things about design then that they threw away in the eighties and they did a lot of bad things in the eighties and nineties, you 90s, know, so they, yeah. they, they were doing some good things in the seventies. I made my husband look at 52 houses before I picked one. I was willing <laughs> to work with, um, you know, you that's how busy I am right now. Driving mine crazy. So you, yeah, yeah so, I was going to uh, say mm-hmm. Vinny's probably going, ah, uh, she's at 80 houses. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing for sure. Um, I also think that we have a tendency to try everything at our own houses so that we can make good, um, choices for our clients. Right. So that's kind of always mm-hmm. the joke. People are like, Oh, I want to go to the architect's house. I want to go to the builder's house. No, we are all wingnut, te- wingnut testing something. <laughs> in our house, right? <laughs> like all of us, we're trying something out. And so, um, you know, I'm, uh, there's definitely some improvement, but, uh, I was making my husband watch some home improvement shows without him knowing what I was doing. And all of a sudden he turns and he looks at me and he goes, Oh, I get it now. Right. And I was making him watch a bunch of mid-century modern design shows. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, I see what you're doing here. Um, you know, we have a bunch of projects that we have to kind of work through. And the only downside to our house um, was that the owners never lived here year round. Right. So our wingnut test and trial has been living in this house and having it dry out in the wintertime and kind of dealing with that. And, you know, I talk about this on, on my Instagram and everything. People seem to love these posts the most. It's like, what is Emily blowing up? Right. My blower door is 8.5, but I have to, I have to work through some of the issues to get to the point where I can really air seal everything that we're doing. Cause I'm not going to go up there and do all that stuff and then tear it all out again. Right. So mm-hmm. we're slowly working through, I did two by four hole in my ceiling for about a year and a half before I patched <laughs> it because it had electrical that was below it. I could just sheet yep. rock over. Anyway, it was a, it's a, it's a, a thing, but um, would I build new? I'm not sure if I could, I, I'm not, I, maybe I could build new. Um, I definitely believe in all of the new houses that we build and what we're doing and the materials that we're putting in it. Um, but I think I'm an architect because I like so many different styles, right? So I love helping my clients do modern designs and do classic designs and all that stuff. And so I don't know if I could ever get myself into a box of like, this is exactly what I would want to build here, right? 
Yep. And I had my heart set. Uh, my husband is from Maine and uh, we flipped a coin. He won. We moved from Washington, D.C. to Maine. My family all lives in Pennsylvania. Um, I haven't regretted it a day since, but I said someday where I'm going to live on the water because Maine has a lot of lakes and a lot of ocean. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, water. Beautiful. And I, one, don't really want to build new things that don't already exist on the water for environmental reasons. And two, there just isn't a lot of that left. So then you have to work with what what you can get. And so um, just like you said, there are older houses that are filled with all kinds of stuff or that people just didn't really take care of. They Mm -hmm. maybe they tried to do the right things and tried to do energy improvements, but they just caused moisture issues and mold damage and other things. And then there's a lot of really, really crappy stuff that was built in the 80s the 90s mm-hmm. early 2000s i mean honestly there's still some crappy stuff that's getting built which is a little shocking a lot of crappy yeah. stuff being built well, I, I, I did mean, a lot of bad things in the 80s too so i can understand how the 80s houses got that way but that's <laughs> gonna date myself a little bit so <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think about it in the houses that i've had over the years i had one that i lived uh when i was living up in washington state that was an 80s house and it had that early kind of energy recovery ventilator in there that was that coiled it was this weird early adopted <laughs> kind of fresh air system and there was like rubber bands that were oh that's that were great the, that was the one he talked about to brone yeah <laughs> hilarious oh my like, gosh it was like this big like honeycomb spinning thing and it, it I, I don't know how you would have ever kept it clean because it was just like it was like one big dust <laughs> environmental collector <laughs> and you would have to clean it you would I, I took mine out because i was like to clean it you almost had to like cut the ceiling in the laundry room out just to get it out to clean it and i'm like this is disgusting and we were learning a lot in the 80s obviously of trying to do things better but we just didn't know what we were doing yet right brutal i mean there's nothing wrong with that just there were a bunch of bad things happened <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Before we head out here, what is what are some of the things that you're excited about that are moving forward, the changes that you're seeing out there? Is there something that you go, oh, this is what's getting me excited right now with new products or, or new technology that's starting to happen out there? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, mechanical and uh, HVAC, really, you know, mechanical and ventilation, right? That For the longest time, we said nobody knew what the V in HVAC was. So I'm super interested in, you know, the Northeast has been really good on pushing the codes and doing better buildings and building, you know, passive house levels. We have a great community of building science people up here in Maine. So, I mean, I lucked out geographically for where I live. And so now we can really start talking about the details of, you know, low load. And, you know, I was having this conversation the other day with, you know, one of my builders and he says, do you think that we can take a heat pump, hot water tank and run it with radiant and just use that? And like, I mean, just some cool things that I think are coming on board, um, as far as how we handle heating and cooling in our houses. Um, and also that, maybe people are really starting to catch on to what is in our building materials. So I think that um, just like LEED was great at getting people to start thinking about things, I do love the benefit of Living Building Challenge and the red list trying to come backwards from the other end and say, like, here's all these kind of not so great things that I'm starting to get um, 
you know, people in the industry to adopt some of these things where mm-hmm. you might make a better choice or know how to make a better choice, you know, or how to reduce some of these things. Because like you said um, about solar, solar is not a great uh, option for your house. But if everybody who solar was a great option for did solar, that gives us a small opportunity of people who can't do it and we have a much lower impact, right? Like it's all- Amen so much bigger than we are. Um, And so for me, I think that's what's cool is maybe it's the pandemic, but I feel like we would we have met if, you know, it wasn't for the pandemic and everybody stuck at home and everybody starting to connect and whatever, you know, so the technology of people talking about it and sharing and bringing awareness. I mean, it's been out there. I mean, you know, fine home building has been around for a long time. There's been conferences. I mean, I don't even know mm-hmm. how many, how many years the international builder show has been going on, but I've been, it's a lot of years and I've been going for 20, you know? Right. And so like these things are out there and I think more people are starting to get aware of that. And as an architect, I thought, man, every architect needs to come and just sit in the build zone at IBS. Who cares about the pro? I mean, the products and the tech and stuff, that's all cool too. Walk around, yeah. walk around, the, walk around the floor, <laughs> check out all the cool stuff. But like, go sit in the building zone and just watch builders put the things that we put on our drawings up and talk about the material interaction or why this happens or what the expectation is from this product. It only makes all of us better. And so I think the, the, the tech and the sharing for me has been the best part. Cause I remember it was like being a young architect and knowing absolutely nothing. So, That's so you yep. know what you said, Emily is so profound. Cause I think about the architecture classes that I took and never once did they put us in contact with the builder. Anybody who calls me and asks me in architecture school, what's the best thing I can do? I say, go work for a builder for the summer. It's the best thing you can possibly do. I would actually do that when I was owning my own kitchen about design firm, I would sit there and I would send out my designers out in the field and work with a contractor for the week. It was easy way to do it. Yeah. So Emily, we're running out of time. What is the best place for people to track you down? Oh man, there's all kinds of places for you to track me down. Um, as far as social media goes, Instagram, Matramark on Instagram is a great place to see. Uh, I share work and connections. Uh, you can watch me on BS and Beer, the bsandbeershow.com. It'll take you to all of our past shows and our uh, live monthly show on Thursdays, the podcast. And you can always send me an email, emily at matramark.com. Um, I try to respond to everybody who reaches out to me um, because... We're in the business of sharing. Everybody gets better that way. So send me an email. I will, I will respond to you, even if it's, I will respond to you in a week. There we go. <laughs> there we go. And your web, website is the same, uh, matramark.com, correct? Correct. Cool, cool. Emily, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, well, it was great to be on. So Super much fun. fun. We will come over and do your show next. Awesome. We now I get to it. ask you guys all the questions. See, now you get to ask now. See, you get the second time now. So now you see now we ask questions and now you can load us up. This is going to be fun. This is pretty much how I run it on my podcast too, is wherever the conversation rolls is what we talk about. Yep. I figured so after we're being on stage with you, I'm like, we're going to get along fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. house.
discovered Anyway, I'll be on the me Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.